Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 15, 1 to 7, ESV. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. May God bless the reading of his word. Minister Taylor will be continuing our sermon series on the parables of Jesus, and his sermon today is titled, The Lost Sheep. Let us hear the words our brother has to share. Good morning, Crossbridge. It's great to see all of you, at least virtually. Uh, my name is Taylor, and I'm one of the youth pastors here at our church. This is the first time that I've had the opportunity to preach here at Crossbridge. Uh, I wish the first time that I was able to preach would have been in person, uh, but nevertheless, I am glad that I have the opportunity to come here and to, to preach this morning. I do want to extend my thanks to Dr. Arthurs and Minister Jeff for inviting me to come and uh, preach about the lost sheep. Well, as I am newer to our church, and this is my first time preaching during Crossbridge, uh, I thought it would be appropriate for me to share an interesting uh, fact about myself that you would get to know me a little bit better. Uh, something that's interesting about me is that I like to keep my things, my possessions, very organized. Uh, when I say organized, I don't necessarily mean that uh, everything has to be very neat and tidy. As you can see from my books behind me, I don't always keep everything uh, neat and tidy, but very organized uh, in the sense that I like to have everything in a certain place. Uh, whenever I get home for the day, I always put my phone and my keys and my wallet in the same place. Uh, and in a similar way, all of my other possessions also have its place. Uh, it drives my wife crazy because it also drives me crazy whenever uh, something's not in its place and I always have to, if something's not in the right place, I always have to go and fix it and put it up where it belongs. Uh, and one of the reasons why I like to keep everything in this sort of organized way, everything must have its place, uh, is so that I don't lose things. Uh, there's this one time when I had my keys and I didn't put them back where they belonged. Um, and I had to search for about 15 or 20 minutes in order to find my keys. And I was already running late uh, for something at that time. So every minute that I spent searching for my keys, uh, was even one minute later that I would be late. Uh, as it came to find out, my keys were not very far at all from where I normally kept them. Uh, nevertheless, I uh, had to search for them. Uh, are you like me in that you have to keep all of your possessions in a certain location? Uh, well, maybe you are, maybe you're not, but have you ever experienced where you have lost something and were searching and seeking for it? What's the most valuable thing that you can think of that you have lost. For me, like in that moment when I lost my keys and was searching for my keys, I experienced a lot of anxiety because I didn't want to be late at all, and let alone any more late. 
but as we continue on in our sermon series, we come to Luke 15 and the parable of the lost sheep. And this parable teaches us something about the character of God and the character of our Lord Jesus uh, through this sort of illustration or through a parable of what it means when something valuable is lost. So I want to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 15, and let's uh, come before the Lord together to pray as we begin to look into this passage. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your church. We thank you, Lord, that we can uh, come together virtually, uh, that we can come together in spirit every Sunday and worship you. Lord, I do pray that as I uh, preach your text that you would speak through me, that my words would not be my own, but that they would be yours. Lord, would I step into the background and you to the foreground? Uh, and would your word speak to all of us and build us up into the people, the individuals, and the church that you have called us all to be? So, Lord, we give you thanks, and we lift this time to you for your praise and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the sermon today is about the parable of the lost sheep. But in Luke 15, we actually see that there are three parables that all talk about this sort of aspect of something being lost, and then seeking that which is lost, finding that which was lost, and rejoicing over that which was lost. Really, there's a greater theme beyond that as well, in that Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. So our passage today teaches us that Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. Not only are these lost things something that is for us to think about, that, that we have lost, uh, but it teaches us more about the character of God and when something is, that he loses, that, that he goes out to search for and find. So as we look today uh, to the parable of the lost sheep, uh, again, we, we see that this is really a three-part parable, um, where there's three parables that kind of build along the same idea. Let's look to uh, Luke 15. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 1 through 7 today. I want to read for us just the first two verses as it sets the context for us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, uh, hear him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now in these first two verses, it sets the context for everything. Jesus is, is eating with sinners, and then we have the tax collectors and the Pharisees that are grumbling. We have the uh, two different parties of two. We have the, the sinners and the tax collectors, and then we have the Pharisees and the scribes. These sinners and tax collectors, uh, it was a social sort of title or a social group to be in this sort of category. It would be something like today, maybe of saying like Jesus was eating with homeless people and drug addicts, or maybe that Jesus was eating with homeless people and embezzlers. Uh, or, or something to this idea. So the sinners and the, the tax collectors, it was uh, encompassing of a social status. And in the same way, the, the Pharisees and the scribes also were of their own social status of the spiritual elites. And these spiritual elites are, are grumbling 
that Jesus is eating with and accepting sinners and tax collectors. Now, as, as we see this in the passage where it says that they, that they were grumbling that Jesus ate with these sinners, this sort of idea, there's something a little bit more kind of to this. Uh, it's, it's not like when, if we go to, say, a cafeteria and we see people eating together, there's, there's something a little bit more telling culturally of what it meant uh, when Jesus was eating with people. It's kind of like what we would think about when people are eating together right now during the pandemic, uh, during COVID-19. Uh, imagine you have a group of four friends uh, who go out and eat together. If you saw those four friends, you would probably think that they maybe are of the same household or family or roommates, or at the very least that they are very close friends. Uh, that's because if one of the four friends had uh, the, the COVID virus, that he would spread it on to the other three friends. Uh, so right now, we have the tendency to only eat with people whom are maybe in our own household, or at the very least, people whom we are very close to. This is the same sort of idea in Jesus's time. Uh, people would only eat with those whom they were really close with. There, there was something telling about when you ate with somebody that was uh, indicative of more than just eating with them. It said something about the relationship, something about accepting one another. There's also kind of uh, a little bit more to it and that the, the uh, spiritual elites were grumbling that Jesus was eating with the sinners uh, and, and the tax collectors because the assumption uh, was that the sinners and the tax collectors would defile Jesus. Uh, in the same way that, you know, if you have a group that eats together right now and and one of the members of the group has the virus, that virus is very likely to spread to uh, the other people because you couldn't wear a mask uh, and you may even share food. And so that the Pharisees went beyond the law, beyond the Old Testament law in many ways in creating all these extra rules. And they had this idea that, that Jesus, this uh, teacher, uh, was going to be defiled by the people whom he was associating himself with, the people, the sinners that he was eating with. But what we see was really awesome about this passage is that we see that rather than Jesus being defiled by sinners, that Jesus brings sinners to purity. Jesus will bring sinners to purity rather than being defiled by them. When Jesus associates with these sinners, he's not defiled by them. He does not catch their germs. If we take the same example of eating with somebody during the pandemic, uh, now this illustration only goes so far, but it's maybe something to ask to say that if Jesus ate with people who were infected with the virus, he himself would not catch the virus. But by eating with these people who had the virus, he would actually bring healing to him, to these people. That's something kind of what our, our text teaches us, is that Jesus brings people to purity rather than being defiled by them. He brings them to purity primarily in a religious sense, primarily in a spiritual sense. It's kind of like what 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That idea of being cleansed is kind of the same idea of being purified or being pure. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus actually gives these parables, the, these next three parables, as a response to the Pharisees to show them 
that he will bring sinners to purity rather than being defiled by them. Jesus shows the Pharisees and he shows us how he accomplishes the task of purifying by these following parables. So I'm going to point out some of the kind of nitty details uh, of the parable, but I think it'll be worth it to us uh, because in the parables, we learn something about the character of Jesus and by extension, the character of God uh, in these parables and in some of those finite details. So uh, let's kind of just join together. It may seem a little tedious at times, uh, but let us learn about the character of God in these details. So again, the Jesus is eating with sinners. The Pharisees come and grumble. And then Jesus tells them a parable and response to teach them and to teach us that Jesus will bring sinners to purity rather than being defiled by them. So the parable comes in verses 3 through 6. Let's read it again. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, as we look at the passage, as we look at the parable, Jesus kind of invites us to participate in the story a little bit. He says, what man of you kind of drawing us into the story? Now, this man had a hundred sheep and in saying that he had a hundred sheep, uh, culturally, it would be understood that this was somewhat of a statement about uh, the man's wealth. It would be to say that having a hundred sheep is to say that somebody is moderately wealthy. In a very similar way, uh, saying that this man had a hundred sheep may be like today when we say that somebody's salary is a certain number, or maybe that somebody has a certain number of digits in their banking or, or savings account. So the man was moderately wealthy. Having a hundred sheep, um, a herd of a hundred sheep was pretty large, but it also was not as large as it can go. Some herds would reach up to, to 200 in size, but the average may be 20 or 30 or 40. So the man was pretty wealthy. It's pretty important also to understand uh, a few things culturally uh, about the sheep and about the herd of sheep. Uh, I myself do not have much experience at all with sheep. I have never herded them. I have seen them in like petting zoos or other um, sort of circumstances, but I don't really have a lot of experience with sheep. Uh, I assume in our society, most of you are probably very similar in that you don't have much experience with sheep. There's a couple of things that are important about sheep, again, that, that, that teaches us about us and about the character of God. So sheep are not very smart animals. Uh, they are heavily dependent upon the herd for their livelihood and for their safety. They're, they're very much herd animals. And when we see in the parable that there's one sheep that goes off that is lost, uh, it, because of the nature of sheep, that, that one lost sheep would be in great danger. One of the reasons why it would be in great danger is because as a herd animal, if a sheep is 
separated from the rest of their herd, it's possible that the sheep could be crippled with anxiety and just lay down in place. It wouldn't know what to do without the rest of the herd. And so it would just be crippled and lay down. It wouldn't eat. It wouldn't run away from threats. And in that sort of situation, there are also many natural predators of sheep. Uh, and so this one lost sheep was in great danger. And so there's the question of, well, what man of you, if you have 100 sheep and one of them goes away, what are you going to do uh, to help that lost sheep that is in danger? And so, of course, we see that the shepherd goes after and finds the lost sheep. Uh, we, we already noted that the one lost sheep was in great danger. But here in the passage, it says that uh, the shepherd would leave the 99 in the open country. So there's kind of the, the, the question here of, well, we know the one sheep is uh, in danger, but is the 99 in danger? It says they're in the, the open, open country. Uh, there's two possible ways that, that we could interpret or answer this question. Uh, again, a, a man having 100 sheep would mean that he was pretty wealthy. And so it's, it's very possible that the 99 could have been left in the care of an under-shepherd. It was also very possible that uh, the, the shepherd could have left his 99, the rest of the herd, with a neighbor or a friend uh, to, carry, to care for them as he went after his one lost sheep. Um, it's also possible, we, again, we don't really know this for sure because there's nothing in the passage that, that says the 99 were left with an under-shepherd or left with a friend uh, or a neighbor. So it is possible that uh, the text is kind of making this emphatic point of the worth of this one lost sheep is worth risking the 99 uh, because of how much worth there is in the one. And so it, it could be that the 99 are left without a shepherd, or are left without anyone to care for them, and so they are in danger. But I, I think just kind of given the first century context, I think it's probably more likely to say that the, the shepherd probably would have understood to leave the 99 uh, with a friend or, or with his under-shepherds, but again, we can't know for sure. But as the shepherd goes out and finds his sheep and, and searches for this one lost sheep, we see that he puts the sheep on his shoulders and carries it home. Now, putting the, the sheep on his shoulders, that would have been a pretty grueling task. Uh, sheep are pretty heavy, and also the, an average man in the first century is probably a little bit smaller than the average man today. Uh, it would have been a pretty grueling task as well uh, because sheep have very long fur, and so underneath the underbelly of a sheep it attracts a lot of dirty things. It would pick up mud and, and straw, and it could also pick up the animal's own waste. So why is it that the shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders, goes through that grueling task, and gets all the dirtiness of the underbelly of the sheep on him? I think there's probably a couple reasons why he, he puts the sheep upon his shoulders. Uh, one of it could be, again, that, that the sheep they're not a very smart animal. So this particular sheep, maybe even after the shepherd went out and found him, would not follow him back. Maybe it was too stubborn or still too anxious and was fear-struck that it couldn't move. Uh, maybe it was too weak to move, and so that the shepherd had to 
put him on his shoulders in order to carry him along. Uh, I think probably a combination of these may be uh, in effect. What's, what's really important about this, though, again, the, the parable is more so than just the story that's there. Uh, we're going to get to a minute uh, interpreting the parable, and especially verse 7. But one thing that we see is that Jesus likens himself uh, to the man that seeks the, the one lost sheep. And so there's a lot of comparisons. There's a lot of things that we can learn about the, the shepherd putting the sheep upon his shoulders about the character of God. We see that, that Jesus is the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. When Jesus comes after sinners and searches for sinners like you and I, he doesn't expect them to come 50% of the way. He doesn't expect us to clean up our acts and then he'll come to us and bring us into his fold. But rather, he, he's like the shepherd who, who goes out and finds the sheep in the case and whatever weakness and whatever dirtiness that the sheep is. And Jesus metaphorically puts us on his shoulders and carries us home to purity. He's the good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for a sheep. Because we, like the sheep, maybe we're too awestruck with anxiety and we can't move towards God on our own. Maybe we're, we're too fearful or maybe we're too weak or too full of shame. And so Jesus comes to us in our weakness and finds us in our weakness and brings us home to him as the good shepherd. Another thing that's telling is we see in the parable when the man finds his sheep, he brings it home rejoicing. Uh, he brings it home rejoicing, and not only is the man rejoicing, but he also calls for his friends and his neighbors to rejoice. Now, in the example that I gave earlier where I lost my keys, uh, there was a lot of anxiety when I lost my keys and couldn't find them. Uh, I did experience some rejoicing whenever I, I found them. But I definitely didn't call my friends and, you know, go knock on my neighbor's door and say, rejoice with me for I found my keys. Uh, I don't know, maybe you have lost something and found something that was uh, that, that valuable to you. Uh, but I think it raises the question for us as to, to why did the shepherd uh, rejoice so greatly over finding his lost sheep? So we already noted that the, the shepherd was moderately wealthy. And so the, the monetary value of that, that one sheep was definitely there. It was, uh, you know, perhaps 1% of his wealth. Uh, so, so there was value monetarily of that lost sheep. And so I think that is one aspect of it. But again, I don't think that is the, the full answer for why the man is rejoicing. I think one of the other things that is definitely at place is that the, the shepherd is rejoicing uh, in his fulfilling his calling of, of being a good shepherd. Um, he, he's rejoicing because he's doing a good job at his job. Uh, he, he did a good job at his work. He's doing a good job at what God has called him to do. I think in the same way, uh, not too long ago, as a husband and a soon-to-be father, I was entrusted with the task of painting my apartment. Uh, I'm no professional painter, but I would say that I put in a lot of effort into painting, and I did a pretty good job. 
And when I got done, I kind of looked at the work that I did and I rejoiced in it. Uh, I felt good about myself uh, for doing a good job. I think that's the other part of what's going on with the shepherd. There's value in that one lost sheep and there is value and reason to rejoice because a shepherd is fulfilling his calling as a good shepherd. This again is, is very important as we understand the character of Christ. We'll come to more of that later. I want to get to, to verse 7 here. Verse 7 says, Just, just so, uh, in response to the, the shepherd rejoicing over the lost sheep, says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I uh, just want to point out again, re remember this is Jesus speaking in, in response to the religious elites that were grumbling about his association with sinners. Parables are sometimes hard for us to interpret and understand. I've already interpreted kind of the meaning of some of this here. But verse 7 makes this parable much easier for us to understand. Verse 7 shows that the lost sheep represents lost sinners. And that the man who searches and finds the lost sheep represents Jesus, who is the good shepherd. Again, as Luke 19.10 says, that the good shepherd seeks and saves the lost. And even more so, as we see in John, that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, the idea here in verse 7, that there's more rejoicing over one repentant sinner than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance, is also telling for us. Why is there more rejoicing over one versus 99? Well, one reason is probably because we, one thing that we can say for sure is that it is clear that this one sinner who repents has received salvation and is with Christ, is with God, and he's received salvation. But the 99 who need no repentance, uh, what about them? I think, especially given the context that Jesus is replying to the spiritual elites, I think it's best to interpret these 99 who need no repentance as irony. Who is righteous and needs no repentance? Well, really, no one is righteous. All have sinned. And so there are none who need no repentance. So it may be that these 99 that are righteous and need no repentance truly do need to repent, but they remain in their unsaved state because they fail to see their need for Jesus. They fail to see their need of repentance. And so there is less rejoicing because they are unsaved. Those 99 may not be in the kingdom of God because they deny Jesus. The 99 who need no repentance may even refer to the religious elites who are self-righteous in their thinking. Now, as we move on to what can we learn about this passage? What, what can we learn about this? It's helpful to think about what we can learn from two different perspectives. On the one hand, uh, this passage teaches us a lot about the character of God and more specifically about the character of Christ. So it's important to look at it from that angle. And then it's also important for us to look at it from the other angle as far as what does this passage teach us about us, about people so first, let's, let's look at uh, what, what does this passage teach us about Jesus? 
teaches us that Jesus shows a particular grace to those who know they are sinners, but rebukes those who are self-righteous. Jesus shows a particular grace to those who know they are sinners, but rebukes those who are self-righteous. Like the, the shepherd who put the sheep upon his shoulders to carry it home, Jesus comes to us in our weakness. He comes to us where we are. You know, we may be the worst person we can think of or the worst person that we know. We may be struggling with addiction. We may be struggling emotionally uh, or with deception and lying. We may feel guilty and shame. But Jesus comes to us where we are. Jesus is even more so than the shepherd uh, who goes and seeks after the lost. He's the good shepherd who loves sinners so much that he laid down his life for them. He loves sinners like you and me so much that he laid down his life for us. He exchanged his life, his glory for ours. Jesus wants you and me. It doesn't matter how bad we are. He loves us and he died for us. It doesn't matter how bad we are. There's one hymn that has made an impact on my life, uh, on my spiritual life a lot. It says, uh, come ye sinners, is, is kind of the, the idea. It says, come ye sinners, uh, come to Jesus. And one of the lines says, if you tarry or if you delay until you're better, you will never come at all. If we delay in coming to Christ until we're better, it's true, we will never come at all. But there's good news because Jesus comes to us in our brokenness. Jesus comes to us where we are to lift us up and to bring us into his fold and to carry us into our kingdom if all we do is accept and follow him. Jesus wants you and I. He does not expect us to come halfway. He doesn't expect us to clean up our life and then he'll come to us. But rather he comes to us in our brokenness and our weakness. It says one theologian said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. And that is true for us, true for you and me. We, we don't contribute anything to our salvation because Jesus comes all the way. By grace, you have been saved. Notice here in this parable the implicit rebuke of the Pharisees and scribes. Jesus shows grace to the humble sinner, but condemns the self-righteous. Jesus shows grace to the humble sinner, but condemns the self-righteous. Jesus wants people who will follow him and rely upon his grace, not those who think they need no grace, not those who think they are self-sufficient in and of themselves. So then as we turn the pages, what does this passage teach us about ourselves? I think in this passage, we learn if we are like the sinner uh, or if we are like the lost sheep. And I think we also would learn if we are like the religious elite, the Pharisee and the scribe. So I want to ask the question, are we like the self-righteous religious leaders? 
I think we can ask this question of are, are we like the, the religious leaders in two regards? Uh, and one aspect of it is, do we think that we need no repentance? Do we think, oh God, look at us. I come to church every Sunday or I attend live stream every Sunday. I go to Sunday school and fellowship. God, look at me. Look at all the good things that I've done for you. Accept me. Do, do we think that, that we are good in and of ourselves and that we need no repentance? And then on the other hand, are we like the religious elites who look down upon Jesus for associating with the despised class of people? Who look down and judge Jesus for associating with the sinners and the tax collectors? What would we think if we had a homeless person come to our church service once we meet together again in person? Would we rejoice that they are there amongst our midst? And would we be eager to share the message of Jesus with him? Or would we sit in the opposite corner because we did not want to be associated with them? Are we the Pharisees who grumble when Jesus brings the gospel to the sinners or the outcasts of society? Do we intentionally or unintentionally not share the gospel with a particular person or particular people because we think that there is no way that they will accept the gospel or because that we think that there is no way that we would want to associate ourselves with that kind of a person? Another thing that we can learn about ourselves, another way we can apply this is that, that we can partner with Jesus to reach the lost. As the Pharisees and the religious elites, as they grumbled that Jesus was, re was associating with the sinners, really they should have been partnering with Jesus to reach out to them. But instead, they were sitting back and judging. Are we ready to go with Jesus to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, to bring the gospel to the inner cities, to the people who are the stigma or the, the downcast? in our own social structures and circles? Are we ready to partner with Jesus? Or are we, again, like the Pharisees, who are self-righteous and sit back and judge? May the Lord help us to be more and more like him. May the Lord help us to be ambassadors for Christ here on earth. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for you have found us in our weakness. Lord, we are sinners. We are like the lost sheep who know not where to go. But Lord, you have found us and you have saved us still. Lord, we thank you that though we are worthless sinners, though we are worthless sheep that you have instilled so much value in us because you love us because you as the great shepherd as the good shepherd has laid down his life for the sheep help us to know and accept your love and to follow you help us to partner with you in the mission in which you have given us lord we give you thanks and pray in Jesus' name, amen.